Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather tonight. We ask you to guide us in our time. Help us to be able to continue to ponder the, the spiritual journey and how you work in our lives to draw us close to you. And Mother Mary, we ask your intercession, your, your guidance, um, and your, and your um, prayers as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so just before I forget, we do not have a class in November, so we're, it wasn't a Thursday that worked for me. So our next class will be December 22nd, which is kind of close to Christmas, but that's when it would work. So that is just something to note. And we'll be, we'll be starting a series on the discernment of spirits. So if you're really, really wanting to know more about it, you can read this book called The Discernment of Spirits. And it's by Timothy Gallagher, Father Timothy Gallagher. So if, if that's something that you're really wanting to know more about, maybe you want to wait till we get started to see if it's worthwhile. But um, that'll be next time, which will be, again, December 22nd. So last time, just a quick overview, we, we kind of looked at the journey as a whole. We looked at uh, that little chart talking about the different stages and so forth. And so tonight, as we begin, we're going to jump in to look at some different parts of the spiritual journey that in a little bit more particular way. So uh, we're going to start with the temperaments, which is the handout with the text. So, uh, why is this important? Temperaments, some people go for this, some people don't, but basically it's a way of looking at how our psychological self is kind of constituted. So there's four basic uh, temperaments that if you go to the traditional view, and most people have one dominant one and maybe one uh, other one that's in there and it, and it can change over time we can change from one kind of temperament to another but um, this is important because it helps us understand ourselves and how we process things and it also helps us understand other people like when you're frustrated with somebody like oh they always respond this way or they never respond or they whatever if you kind of know like oh maybe they're this kind of person then it can help you say that's just who they are. They can't change that. That's just how they respond. So real quick, we'll kind of go through these. So sanguine is the first one. It's the first temperament. And the, the gist of it is sanguine people are quick to decide things. So they respond quickly when something comes at them. They make a decision quickly. Like, I like it or I don't. Uh, but they're also quick to let go. So they like are the kind of person that's like really into something and then they're really into the next thing and they're always kind of moving from one thing to the next or not. Uh, they can be seen as maybe um, flighty or whatever, but it's just their personality. They're interested in a lot of different things. They're interested in, they're usually pretty social people. They're usually um, kind of optimistic and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're easy to get along with, very congenial usually and that sort of thing. So sanguine, that's, that's, that's that. Then we go on to melancholic. So the gist of a melancholic is they are slow to decide. So when something 
presents itself to them, some kind of stimulus or some kind of interaction, they might be hesitant to make some decision and they're also slow to let go. So once they make a decision, they hold on to it. So they're, they're not going to change their mind. They can be a little bit stubborn in that way. So they might be a little bit more brooding in a sense. They, they, they slowly come to a decision and respond and they slowly let go of it. So it's kind of like it's molasses. You're just going to be, it's going to be a while. So slow down and, and be patient with them. So they, uh, they're usually inclined to sort of reflective. They're very reflective kind of people. They have a, they can have a strong interior life because of that sort of more pondering way that they approach things. Uh, they're usually compassionate, able to endure a lot of suffering. Um, they, the power, their willpower is often greatly affected by their physical health and strength. So if they're not feeling well, then they are not able to um, control their desires maybe as much. So these are kind of just things that are known about that. It's not always the case, but these are sort of generalizations. So that's the melancholic. Slow and slow. This is quick, quick, slow, slow. Now we have choleric. In general, cholerics are quick to decide and slow to let go. So they, they react quickly, like they respond quickly. They're kind of quick uh, in that way, but they're kind of stubborn. They're not going not to change their mind. So that's the kind of person you're like, whoa, they decide quick. And then they don't want to change their mind. You can't convince them. So um, usually cholerics are, have a lot of energy. They are usually it's a sharp intellect. They have a lot of ability to concentrate and focus on things. They're usually more practical rather than intellectual or theoretical. They sort of, um, they want to get things done. And sometimes they can be a little irritable when things, when people don't want to work as fast as they do. So again, they make quick decisions and they, they uh, are slow to let go of them. So we went quick, quick, quick uh, slow, slow, and now we have quick, slow. And then we have slow, quick. So phlegmatic. Phlegmatics are slow to decide things. So again, they have that more slow, pondering nature, but they're also quick to let go. So they think about something for a long time and they make a decision and then they change the decision. So it's like, come on, person. Like, what is wrong with you? You took all that time to decide and then you just let it go. But yeah, usually they're slow, steady kind of people. They're not usually, usually irritated by, you know, things that would bother other people, misfortune, sickness, insults, blah, blah, blah. They're usually pretty even keel. Usually they're uh, pretty calm people. They have a lot of common sense. Sometimes people get frustrated with them because they're, you just can't speed them up. They just kind of trickle along and it's like, hey, can we go a little faster? Nope. But they're usually prudent people, sensible, reflective, sometimes um, they delay to seize the moment. So sometimes if you put like a phlegmatic and a choleric together, they don't get along because, well, the phlegmatic doesn't, isn't bothered, but the choleric's like, come on, person, like you gotta, you gotta shape up, you gotta go faster. So those are just temperaments. So again, why do I share that? It's helpful in one sense to kind of get a sense of um, how do we, where do we find ourselves? What are, what are our primary temperaments, if we have one that kind of sticks out to us, maybe another one that we can also see in ourselves um, or see in other people that can help us to say, okay, it's not this person trying to be irksome or bothersome or slow or fast or whatever, it's just how they are. And so that knowing that about ourselves and other, other people can help us kind of step back from 
getting into trouble with each other and even with the Lord and how we respond to the Lord. Questions about that? Have you heard of the temperaments before? Probably you have. Yeah, so this is familiar. Do you all know what you are? Have you decided yet? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun to think about. Um, okay. So something about the temperaments, um, like I said, they can change over time, but it, it is often something we have to work at if we want to change. Or sometimes uh, we might be something in our younger years, and then over time we, we slowly become something else, or there's just that slow change. Um, it's something to be aware of, that it's something we can't necessarily just force ourselves to be different. So don't expect yourself to be different. Another thing that affects our person, like how our makeup and how we respond to things or how we are open to God or not, is uh, things like our, our environment as we grow up. So that's going to play a big part in who we are. So, you know, in our younger years, you can look at your, when you were a child, or you can look at your own children perhaps, and try to understand some things about that. It might help you understand, you know, this is You've heard the phrase nurture versus nature. So nature is kind of like our, our, what we were given, our genetics in a sense. Our temperament is what our ancestors made us to be. Our character is who we choose to be. And so uh, at some point choice enters in, but our environment, especially as a young person, is going to have a big impact on who we are and how we are. So they... Um, you know, people, if we look at our early years, who would be the big influencers on our, who we are? Our parents, our teachers, our siblings, mentors maybe, or friends. So these people had a big impact on the way we developed as a child. And there would be other factors like, you know, did we have enough food? Was there, was it, uh, what was, was our home life like? Was it a, did we live in a neighborhood or lots of people around us? Or we, did we grow up in the country or more isolated? You know, these are factors that impact us and kind of change our sort of awareness of the world and how we look at the world. Other things would be like education. What was our education years like? You know, in those early years, things like our nationality, our religious origin or exposure to religion, um, the discipline we receive from our parents or instruction from them, all of those things are going to have a pretty in big impact on those early years of how we are formed and what, what we, how we look at the world around us. And we can't always control that. It's the environment we grew up in. So um, that's the nurture part. That, that's uh, the environment we live in. So education influences how, how we approach things and how we look at the world around us. And so sometimes we come at it with things that we don't maybe recognize sometimes. Like, oh, I have a little bit of a bias here. I have a little bit of a... Uh, a blind spot there or something and sometimes those things are only revealed over time so but again it's not something we should be like oh I can't believe I'm this way it's just like well that was the environment I grew up in I didn't have a choice it's not like I necessarily chose that it just was given to me does that make sense so we don't we don't take responsibility for that but at some point we have to make a judgment and say maybe there was something missing or maybe there was something that needed to be uh, better informed or, or uh, just understand in a deeper way or something like that. There, there are different parts of our lives that there's things that need to be 
just augmented at times. So uh, we don't, we shouldn't feel bad about those things, but we can look back and say, okay, I can make a judgment now on that. Now the biggest factor in um, our character, our formation as a person, is our free will, right? The choices that we make. So these, all these things, our temperament, our environment, our education, these all play into it, and they're going to have an impact. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is my free will. What do I decide? What, do I, what are my choices that I make? And again, we always start from the place where we, you know, all these sort of environment things, they put us in a place, and then from there we have to make choices to decide where we're going to be, where we're going to go. And it's not always easy to make big changes in our life, to say, I'm going to go against what my culture or my family or my environment told me I should do. Um, but sometimes people do that, and for better or for worse at times. Um, so that, can, that free will can change uh, how we approach things, and we can, we can make that decision. So that's, that's uh, an important thing to realize. Like we do, at some point, take responsibility for our choices and for the way we live. And um, I think if we look at our own experience or the experience of our loved ones, we can probably say, you know, there are, we do use our free choice, but it also, depending on where we started from, from all those environmental aspects, um, you know, it might be a big step for somebody just to say, I'm going to go to college or I'm going to. Uh, get married or you know like depending on your family of origin and your whatever all those things that could be a, a really easy or a really hard choice depending on those circumstances and you can probably think of or see different examples in your own life of people you know who um, had those different experiences so that's an important thing to realize that we all um, have those kind of things and we come at life from different places and that's important to realize about each other so that we have mercy on one another, that we are patient with one another, that we don't expect everybody to understand the world like we do, that we don't um, have that chip on our shoulder, you know, that sometimes we, we can uh, experience that in people or in ourselves, like just discontent because we feel like we've never been given a fair shake. So these are all things. Um, now, at some point, we talked about last week um, the um, the, um, the the conversion moment in someone's life where they decide to to um, get closer to the Lord, or they have some kind of experience that moves them closer to the Lord, and that's a big moment for for all of us. It's a big moment when we come to the Lord and start to say, I want to follow Jesus. That's a big moment. And it's a, by grace that it happens. It can, I mean, obviously when we're baptized, that's an important moment. But it's not always the moment of baptism where we actually are converted to the Lord in the intellect and our will. Like, I want to follow Jesus. It's more often than not, we are raised in the faith. But at some point, there has to be that like choice. Like, I'm going to follow Jesus. I've, I've made this decision that I'm going to live as a Catholic. I'm going to live as a Christian. And hopefully you can all point to some point in your life where you sort of said, as an adult, I want to do this. I actually want to be a follower of Jesus. And that's a big thing. Or maybe it's a time. Maybe it's not like a, a day or a moment. You said, in this moment, I, I made the decision. But you can kind of look and say, 
there was a process by which God brought me to that point where I really started to follow him and desire to be in relationship with him. So when that happens, depending on our personal experiences or our sins or our temperament, um, it can be a pretty big deal to get started, you know, and merit depends on our choice. So again, you think of like someone who grew up in a Christian home, good parents, good education, every opportunity, and, and they have all those things going for them. And they either still don't choose to follow Christ or, or they do. But if they do, it's like, well, you had every opportunity. And then you look at someone's life who, you know, poor home, maybe they were an illegitimate child and uh, no education or very little education or poor education or, you know, lots of times didn't have just the basic needs like food and clothing and stuff at home. And uh, maybe they were separated from their parents or their parents were on drugs or in jail. I mean, you can think of all the different things that happen in families or in the world around us. And you can say, well, for that person, even to like take a step towards like following Jesus at all, is like, wow, that's a grace. That's, that's huge. Like that person persevered through that. Like God reached into their life and brought them to himself. And that's a pretty awesome thing to, to watch and witness. Um, so that it, and it's kind of a mystery. Like, why does that happen? Why, why do some like have everything and they still don't get it? And every, some other people like, they don't have any seemingly chance that it's going to work out. And it does. You know, it's like, well, what is going on here? So there's a mystery to it all. And I, I can't say why that is. Um, but I think it, if you look at it, it's, again, it's a composition of all those things. The environment we grew up in, our temperament, our circumstances, the events of our lives. And all of that comes together and, and kind of pushes us one way or the other. Um, so that's, that's just, it's a mystery how that all works. You think of like somebody like St. Augustine, right? He, again, he had lots of opportunities, um, but he chose poorly in his early years. He just, he didn't want to follow the Lord. He thought Christianity was for simpletons and he pushed it away. And, but it, it, at the same time, there was something in his heart that was searching and seeking and, and desiring more. And so he kept looking, kept seeking God. And eventually it led him back to the church and he was baptized and eventually ordained a priest and a bishop and so forth. So, um, but you look at his life and it's like, wow, that is quite the roller coaster that he had. Um, and you know, there are people like that. Okay, there are some things that we go through, purifications that we go through, and I want to spend a little time talking about that. Um, so there's active purifications, which are things that we do, things that we kind of do in our lives to try to get ourselves closer to God. And then there are passive purifications, which are things that God does in us. So it's not like we do it ourselves. In those cases, it's God doing it in us. But often the times, what kind of you look at how it often works is we do all we can to prepare the ground. It's like we're tilling the soil and then God plants the seed and he grows this like supernatural desire in us for him. And it, it takes time again, but we're going to talk a little bit about that. So let's talk about active purif purifications first. So if we just to look at that second handout, maybe briefly, this little powers of the soul according to St. Thomas Aquinas. So this isn't a perfect 
rendition of what we're going to talk about, but I think it's helpful to some degree because it, it uh, helps us organize things. So if you think of like this little chart here, the little uh, triangle, like the higher you go up, the more um, kind of control over the person the powers have. So at the top you have the rational soul. So that's like the reason. So the, the part of the person that basically controls every, or has the capacity to control everything else. Um, so we have speculative, which is kind of like, uh, you know, be like thinking about things, like thinking about things on a more abstract level. Or the practical, like getting basic things done, like I got to eat, I got to sleep, I got to have clothing. So thinking about how do I make those things happen. Um, and then we go to the appetites. So that second level there, you have the concupiscible and the irascible. These are appetites. So appetites are things that move us. They are neither bad nor good. They are just neutral. But they, uh, they move us towards things. So, um, you, you know, we, we, on here they list a few things. So love, joy, hate, uh, avoidance, distress. These are sort of things that move us to do some kind of action. So concupiscence, or the concupiscible appetites, often move us towards something or away from something. The irascible appetites help us overcome difficulty. So they help us, when there's, a, when there's a difficult thing, they help us endure it. So hope helps us endure when there's difficulty. Despair um, is when we have no hope. Confidence is when we, yeah, we have a desire to overcome something. Fear is when we're not sure if we're going to be able to come and overcome it. Anger, when we're angry, if it's righteous anger or a good anger, it helps us overcome our fear. So these all, the appetites help us move towards some good. Um, so we'll talk about that. So they're not good or bad in themselves. It's how do we use them and are they under, are they under the control of the rational part of our person? Um, so when I talk about these powers of the soul, you might say, well, what is that really? It's just... Basically, how does our mind, our intellect, and our will, how do they work together to kind of control us or help us decide how, how we're going to live? And then you have like the sensitive soul. So um, these are be like the five senses, um, the memory, imagination, things that help us to, to kind of interact with the world around us. The locomotive soul would be like the ability to move, and the vegetative soul would be basically like being, being able to do the basic things like a plant has a vegetative soul, uh, so they can reproduce, they can grow, and so forth, but a plant does not have a rational soul. So we are the only animal that has a rational soul. Um, other animals have sensitive souls, so they can like, you know, see and so forth, and then plants would be vegetative souls. So if you want to talk about that kind of thing, uh, what makes us special as, as human beings is that we have reason, and that is what controls and should control the rest of ourselves. Now, we become like animals when we don't follow reason, right? When we step away from reason and we step away from what, what has been given to us and we act like animals, that is, that is a problem, right? It's a disorder. So anytime we let our appetites, whether they're concupiscible or irascible, overcome our intellect, what we know to be right and true, and kind of control us, that we become like animals. And we see a lot of that today, don't we? So... Um, that's, the, that's a disordered thing. So we're not made to let our 
appetites control us. But that's part of what happened in original sin is that our intellect was darkened. So our ability to see um, and know the good, what is true and good, was darkened. So we're, it's a little less clear for us, like what is the right thing here or what should I really do? Um, and our will, which our, our intellect informs the will, it kind of basically tells the will what is good and, and worth seeking, and then the will goes for it, tries to like attain that good. Um, so our will is no longer as able to, to seek rightly. It sometimes is weak and it says, ah, I don't want to, I'm lazy, I'm tired, I, I don't make excuses for why I don't do the right thing, right? Like, there's nothing worse than realizing in the moment that I know exactly what I should be doing right now, and I'm not doing it. And why am I not able to do the thing that I ought to be doing? And it's frustrating, isn't it? When you see that in yourself, and it's like, but I'm just going to sit here, or I'm just going <laughs> to not do that thing, or I'm just going to keep watching this show, or I'm just going to let those dishes sit there and not wash them, or whatever it is, right? It's, it's infuriating, at least for me it is, when um, there's that moment of realization, like, I know exactly what I should be doing, and I'm not doing it, and... I'm still not doing it. <laughs> keep, keep saying it to yourself and maybe it'll change. But So all of this, um, knowing this about ourselves helps, helps us understand what things need to be purified and how they are purified. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, so Christianity encourages us to mortify our lawful or good things like, you know, um, Basically, like the whole idea of like giving up stuff for Lent, the whole idea of that is mortifying or, or purifying ourselves so that when, when we are tempted by an unlawful thing, so let's give an example. So watching television, watching your sports team, like it's not a bad thing, right? It's, it's a lawful pleasure. You can, you can watch your team, whether they win or lose, might not be as pleasurable if they lose, but uh, it's something we're allowed to do. It's not sinful, right? It's not sinful to, to do that. But um, sometimes we might say, well, I'm going to not watch TV for Lent because uh, I want to make my will stronger. Kind of like we said, it's a frustrating thing when your will doesn't obey. Even the intellect says, hey, do this. This is the right thing. This is the good. And the, and the will says, well, uh, I don't really want to do that right now. So... <laughs> Or we might give up chocolate, right, or, or sweets or whatever. Again, the whole idea is not to, not to like lose weight or like uh, you know feel good about ourselves in that sense. But it's more to like say, here's something I, I is a, an okay thing for me to do, but I'm gonna I'm gonna set it aside to try to gain control over my willpower, so that in the moment when I'm tempted to do something that is unlawful, so say something like drugs or get drunk or you know gamble too much or pornography or whatever, there's lots of things we, we do as humanity that are, are sinful things, but the idea of um, mortifying or purifying our ourselves in those things that we can do is to kind of gain control over the things when we're tempted, we're presented with something that we shouldn't do, that we have the ability to say, no, this is not a good thing. I'm not going to do that thing. Um, so that is part of that process, and that's kind of the whole idea behind like fasting, um, or any kind of little penance that we do, it's, it's a, especially when it uh, is directed at something that is lawful, is to say, I'm trying to gain control over my, uh, my intellect and my will and my appetites so that when they are presented with something that's unlawful, I also, at that, because I've, I've kind of trained myself, I can say no in, in that moment. Does that make sense? 
So that's an important thing that we don't just give up stuff because we're just giving it up or because we're like, you know, masochists or something like we're, well, oh, we're, we're all into like just being sad and grumpy and, uh, you know, hungry all the time or something like that. No, we do these things in order to help ourselves prepare for that time when we're going to be presented with something that's more difficult. So being able to say no to our desires or denying them is helpful when confronted with temptations to sin. Now, many, many Christians uh, desire to be saints. We, hopefully, we all desire to be a saint. Um, but it usually is, it usually, at least initially, when we have this desire, we kind of hope that it's going to be easy. Like, I want to be a saint, but I, you know, Lord, could you just give me an easy one? Like, could you just make it easy for me? I'm, you know, look at me. I, I'm not that good at struggling and, and suffering and those kind of things. You know me. I'm not very good at that. So could you just make it a little easier for me? Just, just for me, you know. You can make it hard for all those other people. But for me, please make it easy. So that's often our, our sort of initial hope when it comes to being a saint, is that it's going to be easy for us. Well, unfortunately, it's not the case usually. It's not how it usually works. Uh, when God tests us, as when, when we say, Lord, I want to be a saint, he will say, okay. And then he will present something to us. And then it's up to us to kind of respond, right? And usually the first time it's like, why would you do this to me, Lord? Why would you do this to me? And he's saying, well, you said you wanted to be a saint. I'm, I'm giving you a chance. I'm giving you what you wanted. And we're like, no, no, no. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant, Lord. And so then he will back off, right? So God tests us in some painful way or some difficult thing or some cross that's hard for us to, to bear. And oftentimes our first response is to say, no, 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 that, that's not for me. Um, and we kind of step away from that. Whereas if we had carried on through that and said, okay, this is what it costs to be a saint. This is how the Lord is going to purify my heart from worldly things, from, from my own selfishness and so forth. If in that moment we can see that for what it is, an invitation to grow in holiness, that will happen, right? The Lord will make us holy. He will draw us to the, the heights of sanctity. But for, for the most part, that is not often how we respond right away. So it's usually this kind of cat and mouse game where we're like, give, and then the Lord offers, and we're like, no. You know, so it's like back and forth, like this, this give and take. And... Um, it's, it, it, it can go on our whole lives, or we can sort of start to make ground where we say, okay, this is painful, but I, I can recognize you're doing something in me. And when we can see that, where the Lord is doing something, then we can keep taking those little steps. And that's usually how it is. It's not going to be um, just, oh, I go straight up. It's just easy. No, that's not usually the path. Um, if, if we look on that chart from last time, you know, usually when we're first converted, when we're first going through the early stages of conversion, the Lord is often very generous with us. And very, he gives us a lot of consolation, gives us a lot of joy. And, you know, our path to holiness is pretty, you know, it's like slow. And it's, it's like, hey, this is not too bad. This is kind of nice. You know, I'm pretty good at this. And then, you know, things start to get a little harder. And... And then we start to kind of be like, well, I don't, I'm not sure. And so the, the thing is, that sometimes when it gets a little harder, we kind of step off the track and say, I'm, I'm, I've had enough of this for a while, and I'm just going to stay right here and set up base camp here. This is far enough, you know. 
And so we get stuck. We, we get stuck until something prompts us again and we, we start journeying again. But there's, there's sometimes these little plateaus or things we go up and down. And so there's a way in which the Lord keeps inviting us though, right? He wants us to, to keep journeying. So he will continually offer us opportunities to grow. And it's for us to respond, right? But if we never catch on to this game that God is actually trying to do something in my life, then this whole action is really confusing to us because we're like, oh, what is going on? Why are things always hard for me? Remember when I was a kid, I was so holy. I was so good. You know, when I first converted, I, everything was so easy. And now I'm, I've been living this thing for 30 years and I'm still where I was. You know, I haven't gotten any, I've gotten worse, you know, and we start to feel that. And it's like, well, no, God is working on your soul, right? He's offering you the opportunity to grow and he's, he's inviting you to grow. And so don't be discouraged by that, but rather see it as like, he's, he has confidence in you that you can handle this. Because again, he doesn't give us more than we can handle. It's just an invitation to grow. So does this make sense? Um, okay. Purification of the internal senses. Uh, this box here. There are two main obstacles to um, to growing, or the two challenges to our internal senses that can be problematic. So again, our internal senses have to do with our like our thoughts and our imagination and so forth. And when we have a uncontrolled imagination uh, that can lead to dissipation and temptation. We fall into these things. So, um, And some people are more imaginative than others. Again, temperaments, all, all those sorts of things. So if you have a quick person that responds quickly to stimulus, like they can be like a little squirrel, like, <laughs> like everything catches their mind and they can never focus, right? And uh, whereas someone who is a slower response sometimes they have a little bit easier time because they're they're not so quickly distracted but the challenge is you know if we can't recollect ourselves if we can't sort of step away from the imagination where it leads us then we have a hard time praying and being recollected and having that interior peace and if i mean if we look at the world we live in now right where there's so many distractions so many things vying for our time and our our attention, uh, we see that it is not surprising. Like the devil knows exactly what he's doing when he puts all this stuff out there for us to be distracted by. Um, you know, we're constantly being told to go from one thing to the next, one distraction to the next thing. And there's no room for God to speak to us. You might think of it, uh, I don't know if any of you were teachers, but if you've worked with little kids, like they have a short attention span usually, right? So you have to have a lot of things to kind of keep their attention and you have to have kind of a lesson plan that's going to engage them. Um, whereas if you have, if you're working with like maybe a college student or adults, hopefully you can give them something to think about and kind of ponder with and they can stick with something for longer. It's kind of that idea in some senses, like the ability to hang in there with something is an important thing. And when we can't do that, when we've trained ourselves to just short, short attention span, that's not good for us because then we don't ever step back and listen to the Lord. Instead, we're always zooming from one thing to the next. And so that's something that we need to pay attention to and, and 
work against. So it's like we need to, we need to have silence in our lives. We need to inject times when we give God a chance to speak to us. And for most of us, if we don't realize that, we just think well, life is busy and this is how it is. And we never step back and say, life can't be busy. It can't be that busy. Otherwise, I'm just going to never listen to the Lord. So we got to take time to step away from that, to be quiet, to listen, uh, and to pay attention to where God is speaking. And when we do that, then we give him an opportunity to work on our, on our hearts and lead us to, to him. So that's really important. Um, so an imagination that is not controlled will often do th- a couple things. It makes sin look really awesome and really exciting and really interesting. Um, and it also makes like virtue and good things seem sometimes difficult or ex- exaggerates how difficult it going, it's going to be to attain that thing. So this is often the, the game that the devil plays with us or the demons play with us is that they try to put these stumbling blocks and we, we look at something and I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're like, this thing that I'm trying to do that's, I know it's a good thing, but man, is it hard. I have a really hard time trying to make this thing happen or thinking about it or can I really do this? And before we do it, it just looks impossible. And then we somehow garner the strength to, to try it and it actually ends up not being so hard. And we realize like, oh, I had, I had a misimpression of what it was going to take or what it was going to do. And God actually carries us through because it's something he wants us to do and something he wants to, us to grow in. So there's a way in which God uh, can do that in us. But sometimes we have to just kind of bear with and stick through. Um, discernment of spirits is kind of one of the tools that helps us do that at times. So that's partly why we're going to be looking at that next because... It's, a, it's an important thing when it comes to either accepting what God is offering to us uh, or rejecting what the devil tries to, to put on us. So there's a couple things we can do to try to control the imagination. Take custody of the senses, so in particularly our sight, right? So our, what we take into ourselves. So I would say today that's a really challenging thing, but there's ways to do it. Like, what do I, what do I allow myself to be exposed to? Basically, like, you know, you look at your children. How much, your grandchildren? How much television do they watch? How much do they sit on their iPods or their computers or whatever, like their their phones? Like, how how many images are they taking into their minds on a daily basis? If we want to limit our imagination, we have to limit kind of what comes into it. So um, it's sort of like uh, if you have a fire hose and you just open it up all the way, it's just going to blast, right? So maybe you should turn, turn it down a little bit, turn the faucet down a little bit and get it to a manageable amount, something that's a little bit more manageable. And that's kind of what we have to do with, our, with imagery or with, with uh, the intake of different things. Because whenever we... Uh, Taken images or watch movies or take in media or whatever, we're kind of putting stuff out there that can become a focus for us, right? Not that, they, again, these might be good things in themselves, but when we take so much of it in, we, it's sort of like all of a sudden we're all finding ourselves thinking about it all the time. And I don't know about you, but I know when I watch a movie, this is partly why I don't really watch a lot of shows or movies. Like when I watch a movie, I find myself like the whole next day, I'm just... I don't even mean to, but it's like I just keep going back to like, oh, 
wonder what would happen if this, or you know, they think about the characters, or like how it all developed, and and it's like, oh, this is a waste of time. Like this has nothing to do with my life, and not very constructive use of my time. But you kind of find yourself drifting there. So there's a way in which we can do that and try to um, control the flow, as it were. And that's when it comes to like sinful things like pornography. That's one of the big problems with that is that. It presents all these images, right? That then the imagination can, even if we say, oh, that was sinful, I'm stepping away from that. But all those images are still there and you can recall them and it can bring you back down that path. So um, not only is that difficult with lawful things, but certainly sinful things can be even more challenging to, to cut out. The other thing is just be faithful to the duty of the moment, right? So what, is, what am I called to do right now? Again, this is the, the intellect and the will. Like the intellect knows what I should be doing, has said this is the right thing, and the will says I'm, we're going to attain it. And if our w- will is weak, often what happens is, well, hmm, maybe or maybe later. Let's do, let's do it later. There's something here that's a little bit more interesting. Let's do this first, and then we'll do that. But no, we, we if we stick to what's the duty of the moment? Can I stay faithful to that? Just keep. And if our mind wanders, you know, if it's something like we're doing some task and it, it requires our focus, like praying, for instance. Sometimes people struggle with, like, oh, my mind goes everywhere. Like, I can't, it's like a pinball. It goes all over the place and I can't keep the focus. Well, don't, don't get impatient because sometimes even, even that process of just bringing the focus back to the Lord is in itself a great and virtuous thing. Like, just, okay, not going to get upset, not going to get caught up in like, ah, because that's often the, the devil's game when we're struggling with prayers. Like, we... We get more upset with ourselves over being distracted. And instead of just turning our gaze back to Christ, we sit here and go, this is terrible. I can't focus. I'm so upset with myself. I can't, why can't I do this better? Blah, blah. And instead of just going, okay, I'm back with you, Lord. I just, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to say all that stuff. I'm just going to turn back to the Lord. And if we can do that, um, we can overcome those little challenges. But it takes a little practice to kind of say, I'm not going to get caught up in those little traps of the evil one. Purification of the memory. So memory, it kind of, we talked about this a little bit already, but uh, memory has a strong ability to recall things and to, to, to bring things forward. So sometimes if we have had challenges in the past with uh, images or things that we recall or whatever, we need to invite the Lord into that to purify it or to, to clean it up in a sense. And that can be done in prayer. Um, it can be done where we invite the Lord to, you know, help me forget these things or to let go of them and to, to not let them have power over me. And that's sometimes a process for people, especially if they've had a lot of sinful things in the past that keep coming back up in their memory. Purification of the passions. Um, so there's, again, the two appetites, the concupiscible and the irascible. And... Concupiscible appetites move us towards pleasurable things, things that we delight in um, and, and desire. Irascible th- uh, appetite helps us. It kind of gives us the little oomph we need to get over difficulties or challenges uh, to things that are difficult to obtain, goods that are difficult to attain. And when I say good, I'm just talking about whatever the intellect has decided is good. So hopefully... Um, we have a well-formed intellect. That's why it's important to form the intellect well, because otherwise 
we get uh, we get off and what our perception is. So there there are. Um, I'm going to have to speed up a little bit here. There are six sort of movements of the concupiscible appetite. Again, this is moving towards things that, are, uh, that, that it wants to attain. So, simple awareness of the good arouses love. Awareness of a future good arouses desire. So, if we see something uh, and we have it, we love it. It's good. If we see something that we don't have, but we, we could have, this is a desire in us. Um, a good that is possessed and present to us in this moment arouses pleasure. So I have the thing, so I not only see it's, it's good and it, 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 I can tell it's good, but I actually possess it and here it is, it's pleasurable to me. So pumpkin pie, like, ooh, here it is. Like if it's on the counter, like, oh, there it is. Now here it's in front of me and I'm eating it. Oh, this is this is delightful and it's pleasurable. Now, when it comes to evil, so an awareness of an evil, the concupiscible appetite will cause us hatred. We 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 hate that thing. I don't want that thing. Uh, if it's an impending evil, so it's possible. I see it there. It could be coming towards me. We avert it. We kind of move. Try to avoid that thing. When evil is currently experienced, it creates sadness in us. Like. Oh, like this is difficult. This this is hard for me right now. So those are sort of the movements that we experience in ourselves. And when it comes to the irascible appetite, again, that's the one that gives us a little help to overcome things. So awareness of a of an absent good arouses hope. Like it's not here, but I might be able to get it. So I, I'm hopeful. Um, if it's impossible to attain this good, then I, then I feel despair because I can't get it. I know it's a good thing and I can't get it. So, you know, the, the, uh, that's why we say the people in hell, they despair, right? Because they know they can't change their situation. Whereas we here on earth, we know getting to heaven is hard, but we have hope for it because it's, it's possible, right? Um, awareness of a difficult evil that can be, that can be avoided produces courage. So uh, there's a thing that I have to face, I have to overcome it, and... To overcome it, I need that courage. I need to face that thing with courage and not just run away, but to do the hard thing, I need courage. Uh, awareness of a difficult evil that can't be avoided arouses fear. So I, I can't overcome this thing. It's too strong for me. It's too powerful. I need to get away from it, but I can't. And so I'm fearful of it. Then I, I'm, I'm fearful. Presence of a difficult evil produces anger. So we uh, sometimes... Again, righteous anger allows us to have the energy or the kind of what we need to overcome that thing. So these are little movements of the of the the, in, the appetites help us move away or towards things that are good or evil. Does that make sense? I mean, that's just a very basic part of ourselves, and sometimes it can seem so simple. But when we kind of can put words to it and say, "This is what's happening in the person," we can step outside of that and say. And that's natural. They sh they should have fear. They should have anger. They should have uh, joy. They should have love or or hatred or whatever. And we 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 can just say that that's that's how it works. You know. So we're not so caught up in just the emotion of it or the uh, and say, well, why did I respond that way or why didn't I respond differently? Well, it's like, well, 
you responded like you were supposed to. That's how the appetite works, you know. So don't be so hard on yourself when you when you ex respond the way you're supposed to. Um, let's look at yeah. Let's look at the passions. So there are some things that can help us control our passions. Um, when we have passions that stem from our environment, so things around us, for instance, you might say, well, all my roommates are drinking and I don't, you know, maybe I'm not 21 yet, so I shouldn't be drinking. So instead of just sitting in that environment, I'm going to go do some kind of other recreation and go work out or I'm going to go on some journey or something. So there's a way to kind of remove ourselves from that environment or to at least distract ourselves from it. Passions that stem from the person ourselves, so myself, like within myself I feel, uh, maybe I'm feeling a little tempted towards overeating or overindulging in something. Maybe I could go work on something or um, maybe I, you know, should have a better schedule of, of my days so that the times when I know I'm going to struggle, because sometimes you can look at ourselves and say, I always seem to struggle with this thing at this time of the day. So I need to not be put in that situation at that time of the day. Like, you know, in a marriage, you might say, when's the best time for us to have an argument? Not right before bed or not right in the morning. Or, you know, so you say, look, when we're going to have a disagreement, when are we going to do that? Like, what's the best time? Um, doesn't always happen. But if you at least try to make a plan, you can help each other do better at that, right? So knowing that, having a schedule or sort of a, that's the whole whole point of a uh, rule of life and religious life and so forth is to kind of give us this sort of process that we live each day so that there's not these moments when we're just kind of listless and like saying well you know what's the what's the word or the little phrase uh, the, something that's the devil's playground boredom or whatever you know when you don't have anything to do basically like that's when you get into trouble um, that's kind of the idea there uh, passion stemming from a person's temperament, um, you know, so reflection, maybe we can take some time to reflect on it and think about why did I do this or what, maybe looking ahead and saying, what am I going to be facing so that I can respond in the right way, so that I can be a little bit prepared, you know, if you walk into a situation and you're not prepared for it and you're a quick responder, that you respond quickly to any situation, you might say something that you regret, right? You might say something you wish you hadn't said. But if you knew you were going into that situation, you were aware of that was coming, you can kind of prepare yourself and say, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to say those things. I'm just going to be a little bit more. So you can kind of prepare. Um, general rule, giving into passions may temporarily sort of give us a release. Or like the, you can say like the little devil on your shoulder, like, you just got to do it, and then, then I'll stop bothering you. And sometimes we give in to that. We're like, I'm just going to eat the chocolate. I'm just going to do it. And you, you go ahead and do it. But what happens is it only makes it stronger next time. Like when you, when you try to avoid that thing, it's like, ah, I'm just going to turn away. And it's like, hey, I'm over here. Come, come have a little bite or whatever. And it's like, no, no, no. So this is, a, again, a game that we play with ourselves that happens in our lives where we, if we... Uh, again, one of the sayings that they would talk about in the summer is you're going to 
which, whichever dog you feed more is the one that's going to win, right? If you feed the dog uh, that is virtue, it's going to win. If you feed the dog that's vice, it's going to win. So you got to you got to keep that in mind because the more you feed the the vicious dog, the more vicious you're going to become. And you might think, I'm a good person. I just can't control this. Like, well, you got to you got to pray for help and and seek God's grace there and. And look for practical ways to try to avoid that thing. Does that make sense? Questions so far? These are pretty basic uh, concepts that should hopefully make sense. Uh, Purification of the intellect. So the intellect... Again, it's very important that we form a good, solid intellect because it'll come. Uh, it'll be important then for the will as well. So the intellect is where we uh, need to reject sinful thoughts, uh, things that are useless for us, things that um, try to push us in the wrong direction. That's why it's important to study the faith, to learn the truths of the faith, uh, to give ourselves to formation of the faith in the Christian life. Because it helps us have the right posture in front of the Lord. Posture of obedience. Like I'm going to be obedient to what Christ teaches in his church. And I'm going to have openness. I'm going to come to the Lord and say, I'm willing and willing to change my ways. and willing to be formed by you. And uh, it's helpful when we have good teachers in the faith. Like good, uh, whether it's professors or pastors or teachers or theologians or you know, people that we listen to on, on the radio or whatever that can form us in the faith because when we trust somebody, they have an ability to have an influence over us, right, by what they say and do. And so if we trust the wrong source, then we might be giving ourselves into the wrong way of thinking. So how many Catholics are out there who, you know, believe the wrong thing when it comes to the basic things of our faith? Why did that happen? Well, it's because they basically gave themselves over to a wrong, a bad source of information, right? And they believed that person or that thing, um, and they were convinced by it. So now sometimes that's formed partially because we want to believe, right? We're looking for a reason to believe what we want to believe versus what the church teaches or, or tells us we ought to do. And so we're looking for a way to kind of escape that by saying, well, so-and-so is a good source of information, and they agree with me, so... Looks like I'm on the winning team again. And it's like, well, that's not exactly how it works. Like, you have to compare, does it correlate with what Jesus teaches us? Does it compare with what Jesus asks us to do and so forth? And sometimes we don't take that step. So an intellect is very important to form the intellect. Because again, speculative uh, soul, a rational soul, is at the top of the food chain. So it controls everything else. So if we have a malformed intellect or one that's not well-formed through study and so forth, we're going to make mistakes in the rest of uh, parts of who we are. So that goes into the purification of of the will then. Our will needs to be basically, so what happens is the intellect sees and knows what is good. And again, good is kind of a general term meaning the right thing. So for instance, um, we might say, well, the good is to go to Sunday Mass. And I know that that's the right thing. So the good sees the right thing and then it informs the will to say, I need to set the alarm or I need to get out of bed right now and I need to 
get ready to go. And if the will is strong enough, then we attain the good. So the intellect sees it. The intellect sees the will, or sees the good, and then it tells the will to attain the, the good. But if either of them are wrong, so if the intellect does not see the good well, then it sees an apparent good, which is not the right thing, then we mess up. If it doesn't uh, inform the will well, then we mess up. If the will doesn't have the, strong, the strength to overcome any obstacles to get us there, then we don't get there. So there's a lot of things that need to happen for us to do the right thing. So it's not always the case that we do. Um, does that make sense? Intellect and the will? Oh, that so happened to me this morning. <laughs> My is sleeping so bad oh, that I did well. not have any sleep last night. And I'm later saying, oh God, please forgive me if I don't go to mess. Please forgive me. I'm so tired. And the more I lay there and talk to myself, I said, oh, forget it. I threw the <laughs> Time to go, Dolly. <laughs> but I wanted to sleep so bad. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. So, so I know that point really yeah, good. Yeah, <laughs> it happens. It yeah, happens. Yeah. Well, we're we're al we're just about almost out of time, so I'm gonna skip ahead of here and just list some quick things for aids to spiritual growth. These are be like helps to to get us to grow in our spiritual life. So one would be just uh, the examination of conscience, especially at the end of the day, or sometimes midday if that's easier for us. I'm not very good at doing it at the end of the day because I'm so tired. I'm usually just like, and then uh, mm -hmm, yeah. And I'm out. So I do it, usually try to do it during my holy hour, which is in the beginning of the day for me, but I'm usually looking back on the last day. So doing a daily examine. So there's uh, daily examine versus examination of conscience. They're, they're related, but a daily examine is basically not just saying, where did I sin? Because that's what an examination of conscience is, is, where did I sin? But basically looking at the day and saying, where, what's my basic relationship with the Lord been? Have I been moving towards the Lord? Or I've been moving away from the Lord. And we can have parts of the day where we're doing both, right? Where we, one step we were going towards Him and another place we were going away from Him. So just trying to take note of that and say, okay, Lord, help me uh, to grow in this area where I stepped away from You and give thanks for those times when we, we were able to move closer to Him. So it's just kind of a basic thing to do, daily examine. Another even more basic thing, just living in the state of grace, right? So going to confession regularly when we need it. Uh, for some people, that means going every week. Other people might be like, I don't need to go that often, but I'll just go when I need to go. But having that awareness of what's the state of my soul, am I in a state of grace or not? Um, spiritual reading can be a really helpful thing because it prompts us to keep thinking. It's, it's informing the intellect, really. And anytime we can inform the intellect and grow the intellect, that's a good thing because it helps us do all these steps, everything better. Does that make sense? So... Spiritual reading can be a really helpful thing. You can read any kinds of things. Um, if you want a, something on the spiritual life that's kind of dense but very interesting, this book um, called Spiritual Theology by Jordan Ullman is a uh, very dense book. You could read something like that, or you could read something like Matthew Kelly that's very basic and simple, and he uses simple language, and it's more kind of like for the average well, Joe. You can read those little pamphlets that you have that say something with faith. What are those that were? Oh yeah, uh, living faith. <laughs> that was yeah, yeah. <laughs> reading, reading the scriptures again. That's that can be something kind of go with spiritual reading. <laughs> Having holy friendships, little friends that lead you towards Christ. So 
Again, that takes a little bit of examination. Like, where do my friends lead me? Do they lead me closer or not? And if they don't, can I, can I help them? Or do they help me? Do they unhelp me in a sense? Do they, do they, am I the more dominant personality that brings them closer to Christ? Or are they the more dominant personality that brings me away from Christ? And we kind of have to make a judgment there and say, well, maybe I need to limit that friendship. Or maybe I need to spend more time with that friendship, depending on what the circumstance is. Uh, spiritual direction. I would say this is one that's challenging in the sense of where do you find a, sp- a spiritual director, but um, uh, that can be helpful, especially if you're in a pl- point in your life where you're trying to discern something, a big question of like vocation or job change or something like that that's big. And then discernment of spirits is just having that in your back pocket is very helpful to, to, to grow in a spiritual life. There are other things that could be listed, but those are some basic ones. Um, so I think we'll kind of conclude there. Any questions? We didn't get to everything, but I think we got a sense of kind of the, the supernatural or the, the natural person that we are, the different parts of who we are that kind of make us up and help us uh, grow in our spiritual journey. So we'll conclude with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here tonight. Uh, some, some of this stuff is a little bit more heady tonight, so help us to sit with it and uh, whatever is useful to us where we are right now in our own journey, we ask you to help that stick with us and help us to grow closer to you. We pray for uh, continued desire, uh, that you would help us have that desire, the intellect to, to grow closer to you, the will to desire it and seek it. And we ask that you would uh, continue to draw us to yourself. And we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.